this morning? Everybody doing well? Good to see you here this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, if you're our guest today, we are so excited that you are here and have chosen to join us today. I want to start off this morning by asking you a question. How many of you had a busy weekend this weekend? Anybody have a busy weekend? Okay, about half of you, the rest of you. That's kind of how it goes, isn't it? Some weekends are, are real busy. Some are just seem like there's just too much packed into the weekend. And by the time Monday rolls around, we are ready to go back to work, right? Because the weekend has been not a bit of rest for us. It's been something that just seems to be very busy. Other weekends, it's just times where we can kind of kick back and relax a little bit. And then come Monday, we're just not ready to go back to work. But uh, I know for me personally, this weekend was a busy weekend, uh, a lot happening, but also a lot happening in the life of our church this uh, weekend as well. Uh, I want to celebrate a couple of things with you. Uh, this weekend, our student ministry was down at Pinevale uh, Elementary School doing a community day down there. And so a lot of our students and parents came out to, to put this uh, community day on. Uh, I know uh, it, it's been a great time for our student ministry, a great time for the people of that community to come out and just be a part of that. And then also, uh, I know our equipment campus was heavily involved this uh, weekend with their annual uh, skillet festival, their equipment. And so a lot of things happening in the community and outside the community. A lot of people very busy doing missions this uh, weekend. And so I would just like to say before we really dive into anything, could we give our student ministry and our equipment campus a hand for just the great things that they were doing this weekend as they were engaging in our culture. I tell you, it's very exciting, especially as we consider that over the last few weeks we've been talking a lot about what it means to be the salt of the earth. We've been talking about what it means to be the light of the world. And so that's an example. Both of those are examples of us just going out as a church, as a body, and even as individual ministries going out and being a part of the things that are happening in our community. And so I'm just so thankful for all of those who participated. And so I, I want to pray for us this morning. We're going to dive into God's Word here today. We're going to continue in this series that we've been walking through called Salt and Light. Uh, and, and we've got today and then next week, and we'll be wrapping this series up. And so uh, I'm very excited about how this is just coming to fruition as we've been walking through different uh, passages of Scripture and seeing how, how God uh, has, has given us this sort of understanding that we are the light of the world, that we're the salt of the earth and we're the light of the world. And then as we've been walking through God's Word together, we've been seeing how it is that that we can put that into practice. Jesus has already declared it for us. This is who we are as children of God. But now we've been looking at how we can put that into practice and how we can literally be the, the salt and the light of the world. And so I've just been very excited about walking through this series. I hope you have gleaned a lot from this series as well. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into God's Word together. Pray with me, if you will, this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to come and gather here today together as a faith family. Father, knowing that, God, you are doing a lot of incredible things in our lives as individuals. And Father, that most of us can walk in here today and, and just give testimony to how blessed we are by your presence in our life, by your work in our hearts. God, we thank you for that, but we thank you also, God, for the opportunity we have to, to walk in here and to just gather together as a family. God, to gather together and to, 
to begin to see you work among us collectively as a body, as the bride of Christ. And Father, it's just so encouraging to know that you are working in such amazing ways. God, as we see testimony after testimony after testimony of people who have surrendered their life to you and have come forward in just an obedience for, for baptism, God, just knowing that, God, that is the work that you're doing in the hearts of individuals and how exciting it is to be a, a part of that. So, Father, we just praise you today. We, we exalt the name of Jesus today as we continue through this series. I pray, Father, that as we open up your word this morning, God, that you would stir our hearts. God, that you would give us a glimpse inside of, uh, of what it is that you would have us to do and to be as children of God. And Father, that we would be forever obedient to the calling that you have placed on our life, especially as it relates to being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Father, we recognize, God, that all things that happen in this place are because of your grace and your mercy and your love that you have not only for us, but for us to, to go out and be instruments in the Redeemer's hand as we reach our community and even beyond. Lord, we love you so much. We praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I love that. If you guys over here didn't hear that on the other side, it was just so cute. Some, a child over here just, amen, that whole prayer. is just beautiful. Uh, you know, most of us here today, if we've been a part of church, if we've grown up in church, we've probably heard the story of the Good Samaritan. As we think about that story, we, we are reminded of the, the reality that there was this man who, who left Jerusalem and he, he traveled here, he was traveling to Jericho and as he went, he was attacked. He was attacked by some very violent people and he was beaten and, and he was robbed. All of his possessions were stolen from him and he was, he was left on this journey, this path, this road. He was left there to really die. They didn't care anything about him. And so as he lay there bleeding and as he lay there with his wounds and as he lay there uh, being stripped of everything that he had, the story goes that people would come along. And as people came along, they would see him and they would go around him. They would come along and they would see him and they would ignore him and they would come along and they would pretend not to see him or they would see him and, and just make their way around him. And so... As the day progressed, people would just completely go past this man who had been left for dead. And the story goes on to say that there was a good Samaritan that came along. And when the Samaritan man saw this man who had been robbed, he went over and he began to care for this man. He began to nurture this man. He began to do what he could to, to, to help this man. And eventually, he took this man and he took him into a, a town and he... he gave him into the care of others who would continue to care for him until he was restored. It's a beautiful story of compassion. It's a beautiful story of how a person can be good in this world, how a person can be used as an instrument for goodness in this world. But it's, a, it's an amazing story of compassion. Now maybe most of us have heard that story, maybe not as many of us have also heard the story of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. This is another story that we, as we grow up in church, we might have heard from time to time. I know I have actually preached on that passage several times, but the story 
goes like this, that Jesus and his disciples, they came into uh, the Samaritan town, and as they approached the town, they went over to the community well. Oftentimes in a town, there was, there was one well where people would go to, to draw water, and that was where people got their drinking water and the water that they needed for their day-to-day life. And so Jesus and the disciples, they go there, and, and as they arrive, Jesus, he sort of uh, takes a seat. He, he kind of hangs out there. And it says in the Scriptures that the disciples, they go into town, get something to eat so it's obviously you know a time of the day where where it's sort of lunchtime and they're going in to, to try to find something to eat and while Jesus is there a Samaritan woman comes over and there begins uh, in this this place this interaction between Jesus and the disciples and we've talked about this before even in this series about how remarkable this was because Jesus was breaking through several barriers back then it was very uncommon for a man to speak at all to a woman whom he didn't know and so he was breaking through these gender barriers but more than that he was also breaking through some very cultural barriers as he was Jew and she was Samaritan uh, and and it was it was known to everyone that that Jews didn't associate with Samaritans and so here he was breaking through these cultural boundaries and he was having this conversation with this woman who had had a very rocky past and as he's sharing truth to her she moves from from being this place of sort of being resistant to even having conversation with Jesus to finally coming to this place where she begins to embrace Jesus for who he is and ultimately comes to this place where she begins to realize that he is the Messiah and as this story progresses what we begin to see is we see the disciples returning to Jesus and as they return to Jesus they're bringing obviously the stuff that they had gotten in town for a meal and they're, they're, they're sort of walking in on this situation and knowing all of these boundaries that exist they no doubt were sort of placed in a, in a very awkward position it's kind of like what in the world does Jesus think he's doing it's one of these things where I'm sure they were really questioning in their heart what was taking place here but one of the things that we see in that story is this this woman at the well being so powerfully impacted by Jesus and beginning to realize who he is with a great excitement she runs back into the town to tell others while the disciples are now interacting with Jesus and that today the passage that I want us to look at picks up right there in this passage this morning we're going to be looking at what uh, talking about if you will mission and specifically the mission of God not necessarily missions like going on a mission trip but the mission of God and we're going to be looking at God's purpose for his people I want you to go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 4 turn with me to John chapter 4 we're going to dive into this text this morning and we're going to pick up right there where that story sort of left off. These stories are very important for us because it helps us as the people of God understand God's purpose for our life. It helps us to understand God's plan for us as children of God. It's not that we've just been merely saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. We know that as a believer in Christ Jesus. But when Jesus would say to us, and he indeed said to us, you are the salt of the earth and then he goes on to say you are the light of the world we begin to realize real quickly that God's plan for us is not to just sit 
and nurture God's grace, to sit and nurture God's mercy and his forgiveness, and to sit and be thankful for everything he's done for us, but to, to recognize a calling that has been placed upon our life and that there is obviously some action to this new faith that we have in Jesus. And so we know that from reading all throughout Scripture. And so uh, we, we look at these stories because it helps us understand God's purpose for his people. And so we're looking at John chapter 4, verse 28 through 38. And I want you to invite you to go ahead and turn there with me this morning. As I said, the story is picking up right where we left off with the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. And his disciples are now returning with food. And we begin to see this interaction now shift from Jesus and the woman at the well to Jesus and the disciples. Read this with me, if you will, this morning. So we read in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, in verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said to them, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not... Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, Jesus says, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life or life eternal so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together for in this case the saying is true one sows and another reaps I sent you to reap that which you have not labored others have labored and you have entered into their labor you know I, I look at this passage and I wonder how many of us can relate to the disciples in this story we, we look at the disciples and we realize real quickly that Jesus is, is, is trying to teach them something very important in their life. We realize that Jesus is, is using this moment as a moment to, to educate them on the mission of God. He's, he's, he's using this moment to educate them on the will of God for their life. As we know, most of these disciples, they, they're, they're sort of starting from scratch with Jesus. Jesus is walking around from place to place and he's He's sort of teaching them as they go, and no doubt they're learning. Uh, they haven't gotten to a place yet where they, they figured it all out, and this is one of those moments where they just sort of miss it. Now, look at this and I think, man, in, in so many ways we can relate to this story. I was thinking about how we live our life, oftentimes thinking about what we're going to have for dinner tonight. We think about our, our, our life, just wondering, you know, what are we going to eat for lunch? What are we going to do for dinner? Maybe you've already had that conversation since you walked into this place today. Where are we going for lunch? I don't know. It's up to you, whatever you want. Uh, I, I don't know if it works this way in your family, but wherever you want to go doesn't really mean wherever you want to go. It means throw out some options, and then we'll, 
I'm getting a lot of head nods. That's kind of the way it works in our family. It's just, you know, let's lay out the options and then we'll, we'll go from there. But we, we're living our life trying to figure out, you know, what it is that we're going to eat. And oftentimes we are missing, we are missing the spiritual opportunity that exists right in front of our face. And this is the point that Jesus is making. You see, the disciples, they've gone and they've, they've gotten this food and they've, they've brought this food in there and, and Jesus is seeing a, an opportunity, this, this spiritual opportunity that is taking place. He is seeing the very reason that he was sent to this earth to begin with as sort of unfolding in front of him and as this situation unfolds in front of him, the disciples are just sort of oblivious to what's happening. So Jesus is gonna use this as, as a moment where he schools them, quite honestly. This happened a lot in, in the disciples' life. There are so many times I'm thinking, man, I'm glad I'm reading this in Scripture rather than being a disciple where Jesus says, David, come on, come on. But this is what's happening here. He uses this as an opportunity to really bring some powerful truths to them as they try to process what's taking place. And we, we begin to see this really happening here as we look at this. In fact, Jesus, he just does not let them off the hook at all. You see, the thing that we need to realize is that as individual followers of Christ Jesus, we are on a mission. We don't have to go on a mission trip to be on mission. The reality is Jesus says, you know, as a child of God, as an authentic follower of Christ, as a disciple of mine, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. He's already declared you are a missionary for the glory of God. He's already declared that for our life. That's who we are as a child of God. We don't have the option to say, well, Jesus' missions isn't for me. You know, I, if we are a disciple, then we are to embrace this role that has been given to us to be ambassadors for Christ Jesus. We are now ambassadors for Jesus to go out and to proclaim his name, to declare the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we begin to see people also come to not only exalt the name of Jesus himself, but we see people who begin to live their lives as missionaries as well to this world in which we live. We are to let our light shine brightly in a dark world. And so here we see where Jesus begins to teach this. And not only are we as individuals on mission, but God has also gathered us in this place that collectively we would be on missions. We, we recognize that God has assembled us together. We recognize that God has called us together, that we would come together and make a greater difference in the community in which we live, work, and play because we know that together we can make a greater impact than we ever could as individuals. And so God assembles a people he assembles a group, he assembles a local church, and he gives them a very specific mission, he gives them a very unique vision to go out and to participate in his kingdom work, and so collectively as a church, we are also on mission. And so this is what we're gonna begin to see here in this passage. Jesus has already told us that we're the light of the world and we should not be hidden under a basket. And as we look into scripture, as we look into God's word, we begin to see where God intentionally brings us together that we would be able to shine even brighter. 
And so this is what we're going to be looking at here today. I want to, I want to paint a picture of what's happening here. I, I, want, I want us to really get a good image of what's taking place here. As we look at our text, uh, we, we begin to realize that something amazing is happening. So Jesus has had this encounter with this woman. And she has come to this place believing, hearing and believing and, and knowing that Jesus is the Messiah. And so she, she leaves in a hurry. She came fetching water, okay? If you read the story, she came looking for water. And what she found was living water, amen? She found living water in Christ Jesus. And so she came with her water jar to gather water. But it says in the scripture that she literally left her jar. I mean, she's, she's practically lost her mind over Jesus, right? I mean, she's so excited about this because they've been looking for the Messiah, and suddenly she has found the Messiah. She can't believe that Jesus knows so much about her life, things that would be very private to her. And so Jesus has, has met this woman. He's, he's shown her who he is, and she believes. She leaves her water pot, and she runs into town. She runs into town as fast as she can. She goes and she tells the town, and I love what the Scriptures say. I don't want you to miss this. It says that she told the town okay I'm, I'm pretty much thinking that that's everybody she doesn't say she told some of the people that she could find in town she says she told the town i mean this lady is busy right she's talking she's sharing she's telling everybody she can find in fact she tells the town and then i love what the scriptures say it says the town came out to jesus so we're not leaving anybody out here i mean this is the entire community they're all coming. And so if you could imagine, Jesus is now with his disciples. They're walking in and they're saying, we got bread, we got uh, salami, we got cheese, we got mayonnaise. Well, they're, they're laying out a picnic over here. They're just, uh, you know, they're, they're putting their quilt out on the ground and they're opening their picnic basket and they're, they're laying all this stuff and they're like, Jesus, hey, Rabbi, come over here, make a sandwich. We got peanut butter if you don't like that, you know. I mean, we got it all. We got it right here. We're ready to eat. And, and, and over here, you have a stampede of people ascending on the well where Jesus and his disciples are standing, okay? So they're standing there. They're saying, come and eat. Jesus is standing there, and he's seeing an entire town running out to meet him. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. And we look into the scripture and we begin to see something as they're laying the spread out. It says in verse 31, I love this. It says, I, I don't really love it because <laughs> they're really not doing what they should be doing. But it's interesting, I guess, is, is what I should say. But it says here in verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, come eat. So this word meanwhile, just go ahead and underline, underline that one in your Bible, for, if you will. This, this word meanwhile. You've got a town running up the hill to come to Jesus to hear the gospel. And meanwhile, you've got the disciples, meaning at the same time, they're spreading lunch out for Jesus. In other words, they are completely oblivious to the spiritual opportunity that is about to take place. They just don't get it. They just don't get it. I think a better word that would, that would, would be better here, I mean, it would be better for the disciples, certainly, if the word would have been, therefore, 
Instead of meanwhile, it would have been therefore. Here's what we would love to see in the scriptures. Therefore, as they were spreading out their sandwich meat, they looked up, they saw the crowd, they threw their sandwich down and said, Jesus, look, everybody's coming out. We've got work to do. But no, it says meanwhile, they're over here making sandwiches and Jesus is focused on the spiritual opportunity. And so not only does this happen where they don't understand it, they don't get it, they don't see it, but not only does it happen, but it happens twice. So Jesus says, it says, Meanwhile, while the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat, he says to them, so he, he addresses the situation. He, he tells them, listen, this is what's happening. He says to them, he says, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. In other words, what Jesus is saying is he says, we have upon us a divine opportunity to share the gospel with people who are hungry to see and hear the gospel. They are hungering and thirsting for hope in a hopeless world. They are uh, descending upon us like a herd of cattle. Uh, this, I've been to Samaria. It's a very dusty place. I can only imagine if the whole town is running out, there's a cloud dust behind them, okay? And so they're coming and they're coming out to Jesus, and he says to them, he says, he says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. He's saying, man, there is a divine mission standing right in front of us. And it says in verse 33, so they were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat. Did, did, did he already eat? Did, I mean, there's, there's food. We're, we're concerned about your health, Jesus. You work mighty hard, and we've laid this spread out. And now we're wondering, because you're talking sort of this gibberish to us, that, that maybe somebody, did that Samaritan woman give you a sandwich? I mean, what's going on? I mean, they're, they're really confused. Jesus is trying to point out to them that there is, a, there is something much more important in life than what are we going to have for lunch. There is something much more important as your role as disciples of Jesus than what are we going to cook for dinner. Jesus is trying to point this out to them, and they're still so focused on the physical, and they're missing out on the spiritual. And boy, boy, does he go to try to figure this out and help them understand this. What we see Jesus do next is, is what he often does with his disciples. He schools them on mission. He schools them on what is the will of God for their life? He's, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, man, guys, don't you get it? Don't you understand that you're a part of a kingdom that is much greater than what you can even see right here? Don't you understand that you are, you are living your life with the opportunity to experience the fullness of God. And as you, as you live out your life as a disciple of mine and you, you come to understand what God's plan is for your life and I hope that you realize that being a Christian isn't just about what you are doing in the flesh or what you're doing in your life on a day-by-day -day basis, but as you get the bigger picture that you are involved in kingdom work. And Jesus says, man... Pay attention. Wake up. What is happening in your life? And he begins to just lay this out to them. He said, there is a much bigger thing that is happening that you need to be aware of. Here's the first thing that Jesus does. He, he teaches them that being discerning of God's, 
that, that they need to be discerning of God's divine opportunities. In other words, they need to be able to recognize when a divine opportunity is opened up. And no doubt, this is one of those moments when a divine opportunity has been presented to them and they don't even see it. They don't even get it. They don't realize what's happening. They don't, they don't see the bigger picture. Look with me, if you will, starting with verse 35. Let's kind of dive into this verse uh, and, and even uh, some of the others, and let's, let's see what it has to say to us here. Verse 35, it says this. It says, do you not say that there are four months and then comes the harvest? He says, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white for the harvest. Now, what Jesus is, is not saying, he's not saying, look at those crops over there. They're ready to be harvested. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, he says, don't you say that there are, there are four months and then comes the harvest. So here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to point out that, that there are fixed times between a planting and a harvest. And, and most of us in this room, we, we understand that. We, we, we are smart enough. I mean, I, I know most of us in this room are probably not, you know, professional farmers. We, we may not grow crops for a living. I, I don't know of many that may be a part of our church that do. Uh, but here's the reality. Most of us are smart enough to know that you don't plant the seed on Monday and on Tuesday you got sweet corn growing in the backyard, right? We, we know that, right? We, we know that, that there's a process. There's a, there's a bit of a fixed time that exists in, in growing crops. And so we go out and we plant the seed. That's the first part. And then there's several days that would exist where that seed has to germinate. It has to germinate and it has to come through the ground, pokes through the ground, and then it's watered and it's fertilized and all those things, the weeds are pulled out and it continues to grow and it continues to flourish until it finally grows into a mature plant. If, you, if you're talking about corn, you know, it gets pretty high and it gets on up there and then it begins to produce a fruit. It begins to produce an ear of corn. And, and so that all happens and then ultimately that corn, at least in, in today's times and even back then, it would, it would mature as an ear of corn and then they would let it dry out. So that's part of the process. And then finally, the corn is, is brown, it's dry, it's just, it's, I mean, you couldn't pick it up and bite into it without breaking your teeth. I mean, that's the, the state that the corn is in, and now it's ready for harvest. And so most of us here today, we understand this process. And so what Jesus is saying to his disciples is he is saying very clearly, you know the process of growing a crop. You know that if you plant corn in the ground, that about four months from now, You'll be able to harvest. And what Jesus is saying is, he said, you're living your life as a disciple of mine as though the mission of God is like planting corn in the ground and waiting four months to it to harvest. You're living your life as though you've got sort of a four-month waiting period to do anything. And Jesus says you don't. The harvest is every single day of your life. He's saying, look up. Notice the people that are coming out Notice the spiritual opportunity that you have before you. you. You see, God's spiritual harvest isn't on a fixed time. It's day by day, God is changing lives. Day by day, God's impacting the lives and the souls of, of individuals all over this world. And he brings those opportunities to us that we may engage in his great work on a daily basis. Every one of us have friends and neighbors and coworkers 
fellow students. And every day we hear their stories. Every day we hear the issues that they're dealing with. Every day we, we hear about their life. And for some of those individuals that we know, some of them are living a life without any hope whatsoever because they don't know Jesus Christ. And they're telling us on a day-by-day basis, my life is the pits. My life, I'm so full of pain. I'm so full of hurt. I'm so full of confusion. I'm so full of, of, of just hopelessness. We come along beside them and we go, bless your heart. I'll pray for you. When Jesus is saying to us, wake up. Wake up. When are you going to mention my name? When are you going to tell people about the hope that they can have in me? Why are you so focused on preparing a picnic when you could share the gospel to hundreds of people that you encounter every day in your life? This is the point that Jesus is making to his disciples. And so he tells them very clearly, he says, you say that there's four months, that you have a waiting period before you really do anything. I'm telling you, you don't. Jesus is saying to them, discern what is the will of God. Discern what is the mission of God. Discern what are those divine appointments that I have placed in your life that you could be faithful to sharing your faith so that others may know Jesus. And so he's laying this out for us. The problem is we just need to see it. We just need to recognize it. We need to understand it. I've, I've, asked, I've asked in here, I know in this series all along, how many of us believe, and, and we won't revisit that. I mean, I know the... The response is almost unanimous, but how many of us believe that Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that ever happened to us? Okay, you can respond. How many of us believe that Jesus Christ coming into our life is the greatest thing that has ever happened to us? Why would we not want to share that with others? And yet we are so, so hesitant. Maybe we think we have four months. Maybe we think that, you know, well, I'll tell them later. I would love to tell them, but, you know, I know that um, i got to get home and prepare dinner. I, I don't know. I mean, why is it that we don't share? I don't know. Why was it that the disciples? I think sometimes it's because we just simply don't see the opportunity as an opportunity that God has placed in our life. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples, man, wake up, see the opportunity. Here's what he does next. Secondly, Jesus tells his disciples, he, sees, he says, and this is important for us, okay? This is important for us. He says, be joyful in sowing and reaping. This is very important for us. Be joyful in sowing and reaping. He's talking about sowing and reaping. Sowing being the planting of the seed, reaping being the, the gathering of the harvest, okay? And so he's talking about this. He's using this sort of analogy of, of planting a crop and then gathering the crop. And he's talking about this spiritual harvest that is existing all around us. And so here in verse 36 and 37, he says this. He says, already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for, etern for life eternal. And so he says here, for those of us who are going out, we're sharing the gospel, people are coming to know Christ, we celebrate this great blessing that comes with them knowing Jesus Christ. That's why, we, that's why we do baptisms, and we do that publicly. We don't do it privately. We do it publicly so that we as a church can celebrate 
a life-changing decision that has been made that we as a church can celebrate new life in a young man's life, that we can celebrate the great and mighty work that Jesus is doing among this church, that we can celebrate. It's a reward to us. It, it feels good to us to know that people are coming to know Jesus, and as they come to know Jesus, that Jesus is sanctifying them by his Holy Spirit, and there's a great and mighty work being done in the hearts of people. It excites us. It is the reward. We reap the reward when we reap the harvest. And so he says here, he says, already he who reaps is receiving the wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life. Look at this. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. What does he mean by that? He's talking about there are times in people's lives when when they come to know Jesus, that's the reward. That's the, the reaping of the harvest. But there is also in those individuals' lives, times in their life where maybe someone else was sowing seed maybe five, ten years ago. Oftentimes when someone comes to know Christ, it's a journey. It's not a something that they just woke up on Monday and said, I love Jesus. It's something that has been happening all their life as multiple people have been pouring in. They've been sowing the seed of God's Word. They've been teaching the gospel. They have been wooed by the Holy Spirit of God. God is drawing men and women unto himself, and they finally get to a point where there's a great harvest of their souls because they are saved by the grace and mercy of God. And what he says here, what Jesus says here, is he said, man, this should be a joyful, joyful process. Look at this. He says, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. One of the things that we need to understand that even before us came the prophets, came the apostles, came the early church. We are gathered in this room together as believers in Jesus Christ because of what the apostles did when Jesus ascended into heaven. They went out into the mission field, and we know Jesus because of the efforts of their works. Amen? We must recognize that. This didn't happen in this, this modern era. I mean, it wasn't just one person who's responsible for leading you to Jesus. There have been histories. There's been centuries. I mean, there's been hundreds of years of Christianity where one faith led another to faith. And upon all this huge foundation, the church has been built. So Jesus says, don't, don't miss the point that many others have, have gone before you and some will sow and some will reap. But he says this, he says we do this so that he who sows and he who reaps, look at this, may rejoice together. It should excite us. It should motivate us. And yet, in the church today, too often, serving Jesus is looked upon with such drudgery. Oh, my gosh. The pastor, he, he's talking about serving again. He's talking about going and Serving in youth or serving in children's ministry. He's talking about going out and evangelizing the country. Oh, man, I mean, if we don't do it, he'll, he'll be mad with us, you know. It's, 
I mean, that's what we hear in the church all the time. If you know, or it, it, I know all my friends, they're going and they're they're participating in this 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 thing this weekend to to reach our community. And if we don't go, you know what they'll think about us. That's what we hear in the church. That's what we say in the church. Oh, Got to go to life group tonight. I mean, it's just it's how we're living our life. And yet Jesus says to them, this should be, says to us here this morning, this should bring so much joy to our life. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are to be about God's great work. We have been given an opportunity to participate in kingdom work, and it should be great joy to our heart, whether we're out there sowing the seed or whether we're out there reaping the harvest, no matter what it is that we're doing, we should be doing this with great joy in our hearts. But you see, kingdom work interferes with everything else we like doing in our life. And in the disciples' case, it's having a picnic. Can't we do that later, Jesus? I mean, I'm hungry. Can't you, can't you just come over here? I mean, they can wait. Can't they? I mean, we're about to eat, man. Oh, so you say that from the time the seed has been planted to the time there's harvest, there's four months. Well, yeah, I guess we could wait, but we're not talking about that kind of harvest. We're talking about a spiritual harvest. And he just lays it on the line. For them to understand, for us to understand. In Luke 10, too, Jesus says this. He says, the harvest is plentiful. Jesus is saying this now. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, look at what he says. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus recognizes that there are going to be a lot of things in our life that we would rather be doing than kingdom work. And he understands that the laborers be few, so much so that he tells us to pray earnestly for laborers. Should it be a reality in the church today that 20% of the people do 80% of the work? I mean, really, should, it, should that be a reality in the life of the church? Or should we all be participating in this thing called kingdom work. I think what Jesus is saying is that we should all be participating in this thing called kingdom work. Okay, I'm already over and we're only halfway done. So, this happens every week. Okay, so finally, what Jesus does next is he offers a huge reminder for us. Let me, let me read this verse this last verse to you he says in verse 38 he says this he says i sent you to reap that for which you have not labored just think about that for just a moment i sent you to reap for that which you have not labored look at what he says he says others have labored and you have entered in to their labor one of the things that i believe jesus is trying to say this last truth that we're looking at here today this last lesson that Jesus is teaching us is be reminded that you gain what 
others have worked hard for. You gain in the blessing of harvest what others who went before you had sown. And so he's revealing to us, he's revealing to these disciples, he said, I sent you out to reap a harvest. That's the good part. That's the part that comes with great reward. You know, you get to harvest the crop. And I sent you out to reap the reward for that which you have not labored. He's obviously pointing back to the prophets of far. He's, he's pointing back to the prophets of old. He's pointing to the apostles who, well, they are the apostles, but he's pointing to these that have gone before him that have talked about the great things of God. And for us, we are reminded that we gain in this great kingdom work the reward of those who have gone before us. We gain. We get to celebrate the reap of the harvest. We get to celebrate the life change. We get to see all of this take place in our world today. In the early 1900s, it was recognized that China had a great need for the gospel. Even before that, but really in the 1900s, it became something that was really being proclaimed in a huge way that, that China needs the gospel. And so missionaries begin to, to rise up and they begin to go into China and they begin to share the gospel. They begin to uh, just share Jesus with people who were living in darkness. They went into China being the light of the world and, and people were coming to know Jesus. And, and this continued, even though the Christians who went, most of them were persecuted during this time. Many of them even lost their life uh, by going into a, a place that they, they had never been before and sharing the gospel to people they never knew. And, and as they went, people were coming to know Jesus. And by the late 1940s, the government of China recognized what was going on. It was estimated that over a million people had given their life to Jesus during this time. And so the government rounded up all the Christian missionaries and they removed them from the country. They didn't want this kind of nonsense happening in their country. And so they removed them from the, from the country and they, they sent them on their way. But you see, the million people that knew Jesus now They didn't need the missionaries because they recognized that they were the missionaries now. And as time went on, they began to continue to share the gospel underground if necessary. They began to share the gospel in homes. They continued to share the gospel until today we have an estimated 100 million Christians living in China. That's the work of the gospel and the people of God who recognize that they are the light of the world and you can't take that away. You can't take that away. But what would have happened if the hundred million believers in Christ Jesus said, well, there goes the people that share the gospel. What would have happened? so thankful that they continued to take the, 
to, to, to pick up the torch, to, to carry the baton, to the, and continue to run the race that was set before them as they continue to go out into the world and be the salt of the earth and be the light of the world, proclaiming Jesus as they go. We are involved in a great task as a local body of believers. We are called to be the light of the world. And I believe the greatest danger that exists in the church today is complacency. Where we get to a place as believers in Christ Jesus where we just think somebody else will do the work. Where we get to a place where we believe that I'm not needed. It's not about whether you're needed or not. It's about everyone participating in what Jesus has called everyone to do. And so here we see the truth that, that Jesus is proclaiming in this text. The problem is not, the, the problem with missions is not the, that the harvest isn't ready, it's whether or not God's people is ready. The harvest is ready. Jesus has declared, you may think it's not ready, but I'm telling you, it's always ready. The harvest lays before you when are you going to pick up on your responsibility to be the light of the world? You are the light of the world. A light is not to be hidden under a basket. Jesus says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even the ends of the earth. We are called to reach a community for Jesus. I want you to look around for just a moment. Just look around, left and right. It's easy to do right here. Second service, not so easy. Not at the person sitting next to you, but at the empty chair next to you. I want you to look at that. You see the empty chairs in here today? You see them? Would you say that we have room for at least one or two more? We do. How are they going to get there unless the missionaries of God go out and get them? Last week, we sang a song about Jesus breaking down the wall of hostility that exists between you and God, and he came after you, he charged after you, he came to you, and he rescued you, and he reconciled you to the Father. You remember singing that song? That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. And Jesus says, as my disciple, you are the light of the world. And not only were you reconciled to the Father, but you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And so therefore, you go down and you break through those walls. You break through those gender barriers. You break through those cultural barriers. You break through those racial barriers. You break through whatever wall exists between you and the lost people of this world, and you be the light of the world. But Pastor David, I, I'm pretty uncomfortable sharing the gospel. I feel a little awkward about what Jesus has done telling people about what Jesus has done in my life. Just tell him what Jesus has done. You don't have to be a theologian to share Jesus with someone else. So we're called by Christ 
to do this. I'll be real honest with you here this morning. Can I do that? Can I just be real honest with you? It takes every single one of us in this room to accomplish the mission that Jesus has given us. Every single one of us. And what that means is some of us are going to be serving in our children's ministry, sharing the light of Jesus to our children. Some are going to be working with our students. Some of us are going to be working with our college or our young adults. Some of us are going to be sharing the gospel with older people in our world. We have a ministry where we have the opportunity every single week to share the gospel with people that are struggling with different hang-ups in their life. We have many different opportunities for everyone to serve. Maybe some of you are going to just stand at the door on Sunday morning and say good morning to somebody who walks in, and that's your way of being the light unto the world. But it takes every one of us not to just come in here and sit here on Sunday morning and check off a box and say, I went to church, but to come in here on Sunday morning and be the church. And be the church. And so this morning as we close out this service, I pray that you would pray just like Jesus has prayed. That we would pray for laborers where there's the harvest. And the word of God has revealed to us that there is indeed a harvest. We don't have to wait on it. It's right before us. Let us be faithful in praying not only for other laborers, but praying that God would use us to impact our communities for the sake of the gospel. God is calling us to go to places like Quitman. He is calling us to go to places like Madison, Florida. He is calling us to go to places like Adele. He is calling us to go to places like Naylor. He is calling us to go to places like Boston. He is calling us to go to places like Ethiopia. He is calling us to go to places like Beirut. Yes, Beirut. He is calling us out as a church. Why? Because we are the light of the world. And if we don't shine the light of Jesus, who will?